Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of Western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. Crossing signals are now white supremacy. Yeah, details in a bit. First, the show is made possible by you beautiful, legendary patrons. Folks like Bob and Jocelyn and Sarah and Frank and Daryl and LL and Trent and Trudy and Meredith and Eric and Janet and Paul. I appreciate all of the support. I could not do the show without you. They became patrons to support the show. You can too by visiting thepetecalendarshow.com. You can click the link at the top to get you to the Patreon page, uh, or you can go directly to Patreon and uh, search for my name, or you can click any of the handy-dandy links that are in the description of this here podcast. Um, I'm not kidding. There's actually a piece that I'm going to read here about the white supremacy of traffic uh, traffic signals. Not the red, yellow, green lights, but uh, the uh, the crossing signals, right, at yeah, the pedestrian crossing signals. Yeah, you know where this is going. <laughs> um, well, when I get a mattress, you know where I'm going to, right? I cross whatever street I need to to get to Mattress Man. Mattressmanstores.com is their website. If you don't want to uh, uh, cross any streets, you can just go online and look at all of the inventory that they have. And if you do it now, you can take advantage of the fantastic deals that they've got going on, the 000 financing. Uh, so you get zero down. You get 0% interest for 24 months, so two years of no interest, and you don't even have to make a payment. Zero payments for 90 days, for three months. Like, that's incredible. Um, it's a fantastic deal, and you can get great mattresses at Mattress Man. Of course, that's always the case, no matter what deal they have going on, um, because they've got uh, all sorts of access to specialized lines like the Biltmore Collection by Restonic, made in Fayetteville. These are the mattresses that are exclusive to the Biltmore Inn and Hotel. They have uh, the Nature's Spa line. This is by Paramount Sleep. These are the mattresses uh, featured at Blackberry Farm in Tennessee. They have all of the kinds of mattresses that you can think of. They've got the inner spring, the pocketed spring, the memory foam, the pillow top, the natural latex, two-sided hotel foam, hand-tufted, all of it, okay? I mentioned the Biltmore Collection. During their sale going on right now, you can get a free box spring with the purchase of a Biltmore mattress. And the the uh, free box springs, fantastic deal. Or if you want to get the adjustable base, they've got those uh, with select mattress purchases as well. So you can raise your head, raise your feet, whatever. It's, and you can uh, connect it to your smartphone, which is fantastic, right? You got wireless remotes and stuff. So go check it out either online or in store. They're taking all of the necessary precautions with the distancing and the, the masks and the sanitizing of the card reader and register and stuff. They got single use pillow covers and such that you can use. So uh, you can, uh, you know, be assured uh, that they are taking the precautions necessary to keep you safe. So go to their website or go to their stores. They got four in the Asheville, Arden, Hendersonville area. They do ship nationwide. They have local five-star delivery service. Mattressmanstores.com. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. 
All right, so crossing signals may be racist. This is a headline, not kidding, from uh, medium.com. And this is a place where people can self-publish. Um, and, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, intellectuals and researchers. They post a lot of stuff on there. And this is done by a guy named David Kaufman, who is an editor, a writer, a father, a husband, a hummus lover, and an ex-California guy living in New York City. Okay, and he's got a piece called The Unintentional Racism Found in Traffic Signals. <laughs> you know exactly where this is going. There is a show called The Detour. It's actually done by uh, the, 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 the lead actor. I forget his name, but uh, he is married to Samantha B, the liberal... Uh, uh, host of the Samantha B show on was it Comedy Central or something she used to be on the Daily Show with John Stewart she was one of the correspondents anyway lefty okay um Natalie Z is uh, the on-screen wife for this guy for I can't remember his name uh, anyway um and it's uh, it's it's a half hour comedy show kind of crude but whatever um point is that there is actually a uh, an, an episode where the family moves to New York City and they're teaching their son, who's, I don't know, like 14 or something. And they're teaching him because he had never you know been in a big city. They're like, you got to watch for, you know, the 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 white man says walk. Right. <laughs> and so that's what they keep telling him. And so at some point later in the episode, they have this uh, argument with a black family in the building. Uh, and the kids start saying, we, you know, because they're walking and they're like, White man says walk, and you're like, whoa, no, no, no. So he's very, you know, awkward moment and all this comedy, okay? Because nobody, I am not aware of anybody that ever looks at that crossing signal and thinks this is white people trying to tell us what to do. But apparently to David Kaufman, it was at first. There's a moment here of uh, of sanity that breaks through at the end, spoiler alert, but let's just take it piece by piece as he tells the story. He writes that uh, the far, about the far more subtle streams of everyday racism that course through our homes and our workplaces. Uh, these instances may be far subtler than a mascot or an offensive term, but are no less pervasive and no less deserving of cultural reckoning and he says for me this reckoning begins with traffic signals a few months back before covid19 kept us in our homes and george floyd made us take to the streets i was walking with a friend her daughter and my twin sons my friend is white and i am not something i'd never given a second thought until we reached a crosswalk <laughs> <laughs> so your friend is white you are not and you've never given that a second thought you've never noticed dare i say it you don't see color you can't say that nowadays that gets you canceled in our culture by the oh so tolerant uh keepers of tolerance remember honey she said to her daughter as we waited for the light to turn green we need to wait for the little white man to appear before we can cross the street i know there it is, right? In all of its white supremacy splendor. There it is, teaching the children from the earliest of ages. 
I realize, David Kaufman writes, I realize that white people like to exert control over nearly everything everyone does. Wow. Racist much? Uh, David, you might want to, I don't know, expose yourself to people outside of California and New York City. You know what those people are called? They're called conservatives. Conservatives generally leave you alone. Conservatives generally are like, you know what, I don't really care what you're doing. Just leave us alone. I'll leave you alone and we're all fine, right? Maybe the reason you think all white people try to exert control over nearly everything everybody does is because all the white people you know are leftists. Just spitballing here, David. Just throwing it out there. I'm constantly amazed at how they don't see this, the blind spot that lefties have about people that they surround themselves with, and then they they conjure up these ideas about the way everybody behaves based on their circle of friends. And if you find these things to be so repugnant and objectionable, get yourself some new friends. Right? Find some new circle. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, and also, by the way, I love the racist connotation here that there's something about whites that they they have to tell everybody what to do all the time, but that never happens in any other race. They're they're superior, right? So David, whatever race he is, I think he's black, maybe. I think at some point he mentions in the piece that he is uh that he had a white mom. That he, but I don't know. Um yeah, he says my progressive white mother. Right? So uh, apparently his mom was white and maybe his father was black, I don't know. He doesn't explain he just says he's not white, but he had a white mom, <laughs> so he doesn't claim the whiteness, which is interesting. That might make you wonder about whether or not there is indeed privilege if you are given the option of choosing white or black or interracial, I guess. You can choose any of the above, and you choose not white, right? <laughs> so is there privilege if you're rejecting that? Anyway, um, he says, uh, part of my surprise... Uh, was uh, here was a function of age. He says, my boys are a few months younger than her daughter, and we hadn't yet tackled the crossing the street component of basic toddler training. But as a black dad, I was struck by the language at play. He was struck. He's 40-something years old, and he's now just struck by the language at play. He's never heard the the little white crossing uh, uh, the white guy walking or whatever that little you know crossing signal he's never heard of that referred to as the white man or the walking dude the white walking dude the white walking man whatever like you've never heard that before but what have you called it what have you been referring to this thing as <laughs> right um <laughs> when you see it this is what gets me when you see that image what do you like do you think, oh, look, that's a that's a Caucasian person that's depicted in that in that light? <laughs> I'm sorry. This it's just ridiculous. This is lunacy. And I know we shouldn't make fun of the insane because they don't know any better. But I think a lot of this stuff is self-inflicted and um, and is a result of just being steeped in victimhood and uh, identity politics. Uh, so uh, for that reason, I mock it because it deserves to be so. Anyway, remember, honey, she says, wait for the little white man to appear before we w cross the street. OK, we need to wait for the little white man to appear before we can cross the street. This is what triggers him. He says, now I have to think about all of this, right? How is it possible? He says that well into the 21st century, parents all over Manhattan, well-meaning 
Black Lives Matter marching parents are teaching their children to ask little white men for permission to cross the street. And why doesn't this seem to bother them? We'll get back. We'll get back to this question. He then <laughs> Now, I will say to his credit, he explores the history of this uh the white uh with the white man on the the crossing signal. He explores why that light is the way it is. He does some research. He says he wanted to know more. So he gets in contact with the Federal Highway Administration, uh, or as I like to call it, the FUA. And uh, they discuss with him why it looks the way it looks, which it probably took about, I don't know, 15 minutes to walk him through this. First of all, it's called a hominoid. It's not a man. Did you know that? It's called a hominoid. That's what the folks at the FUA, that's what they call it. It's a hominoid. And this makes sense, right? Because if you just look at the thing, is it actually like a, an actual depiction of a person? No, but it, it, it conjures that image up, right? It's representative. It's like an emoji. It's like a 1940s era emoji. But they had more room, so they gave it a body, right? But they don't, it doesn't have hands. It doesn't have feet, right? It's a stick figure. It's literally a stick figure. This is what gets me. This guy sees some sort of racial animus in a stick figure. Like, dude, that's a you problem. For real. That's a your brain problem. Something is going on in your brain, in your mind, that makes you think that the world is assaulting you with constant white supremacist imagery. If you look at a hominoid, <laughs> an emoji, well, I mean, look, they, they did this anyway, right? With the, like, to this day, I will not use uh, any emoji that has any kind of skin tone color that is, uh, I, won't, I won't use any of them. It's all yellow. It's the only, it's the, the original emoji color of yellow is the only one I use. Right. Well, it's because I'm, yes, I'm in bed uh, with the communist Chinese. That's... Can I even say that anymore? Because this was the like, this was the big thing. Like, oh, we're going to introduce skin tones, and also now you got to give everybody like seven different skin tones and all this. And even then, like, if you pick the wrong one at the wrong time, that you know, that's your job. Sorry, your life is ruined. So I just I just avoid it all, and I just go with the classic yellow emoji. I don't do the faces. Every now and again, I'll do the thumbs up kind of deal but I do not apply any kind of skin tone to that thumbs up. And by the way, definitely do not do the okay signal. You make that the okay sign with your hands, um, yeah, you'll lose your job over that. Maybe even get thrown out of a college. So he goes to the Fahua and he says, hey, what's up with these racist signals? And they're like, okay, first off, it's a hominoid. Um, it's a, uh, a gender-neutral walking person, an icon that actually dates back to the 1940s. Um, and the reason why they did this, can you guess why? Think about it. Why would they, because the original, if, if you've ever seen the original uh, crosswalk signs and such and signage and even with uh, traffic lights, right? What, what were the original signs that they used? Yeah, they had words on them, right? <laughs> they used words. The English language, uh, no less. These racists used the English language on their signs. They would have a sign that popped up that says walk, and then the bottom of it would say don't walk. So why did they change walk and don't walk to a hominoid, gender-neutral walking person and the red hand? Oh, 
A red hand? Well, wait a minute. We got a white guy walking, but a red hand telling you to stop. What's up with that? Why doesn't he... Why is there no triggering effect for the red hand? Because the red hand is actually a commandment, right? The red hand is saying, don't you do this thing. It's actually restricting your freedom. It's oppression. That's what's happening with that red hand. The white walking guy just says, hey, you're free to walk. Walk wherever. Do what you want. It's not telling you to walk. It's not saying you have to walk right now. If you want to wait for that sign to go... Uh, cycle through another round, you are free to do so. It is not an imperative. It's just saying it's safe to walk right now. The red hand, on the other hand, is saying you should not do this thing. It is restrictive and depressive. Why did they make that a red hand? Was that supremacy of some kind? I digress. Increasingly globalized populations. That's the reason why they swapped out the words for the pictures, right? You can call it dumbing down if you want to, right? But people who are arriving in New York and they do not speak the language and you don't want them to get run over by all the cars all the time, uh, hey, why don't we just make the pictures tell people what they should and shouldn't do, right? Here's a little walking person that lets you see that you can walk and here's a big hand that says no and don't walk on that, right? And then you don't even have to know the language and everybody stay safe. Brilliant, really, in its simplicity and obviousness. Complete obviousness. Okay. So they swapped out the icons um, for the words. The, um, to, 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 by the way, this all now became code finally in like 2009. They had swapped out all of the final walk, don't walk signs. Anyway, so that's the first thing. So it's a hominoid. It's a gender neutral walking person hominoid, not a man. Okay. Uh, so that's the first thing. Second, why is it white? I need to know. Okay, so it is technically white, but it is actually lunar white, lunar white, which you would think that uh, Mr. Kaufman would understand being a moon bat, or at least as crazy as one. That's, I know. Uh, So why the lunar white? This might surprise you, but apparently it makes it easier for us to see. (laughs) I know it's mind boggling. So that the, the, the white, bright light of the walking guy makes it really easy to see. Interesting. Could you imagine the discussion we would be having if they had made the hand white as well? <laughs> Could you imagine? You want to talk, I think somebody would have been triggered a long time ago had the hand uh, been white too. But no, it's it's actually the peak sensitivity for the rod cells in the human retina. Yeah, really, really easy to see. So kudos to uh, to Mr. Kaufman, I will say kudos to him for going in and doing the research and finding out that the racism is all in his mind um, and then writing about it. He then says, but of course, like the lesson cannot be learned. Otherwise, the headline and the whole piece would be like moot. You like, why bother even writing the piece? So let's circle back around. He says, I am now convinced that technology and necessity, rather than some anti black conspiracy, propelled the shift from verbal crosswalk cues to a lunar white walking person. But my heart still sinks at the specter of teaching my sons to ask a white man for permission to do, well, anything because so much of the world already insists that we do so 
even when there's no racism behind a thing, he still demands that there be racism attached to it. It's almost like you can't win. Are you getting that feeling? It's sort of like the, you know, white silence is violence, but then also words of disagreement are violence as well. So basically, talking and not talking is violence, unless you say exactly what we tell you to say, which that's kind of fascisty, right? Kind of, kind of fascist. They never see it in themselves, though. At a time when the totems of systemic and anti... Oh, by the way, let me go back one point here. He says, my heart still sinks at the specter of teaching my sons to ask a white man for permission to do anything. Okay, um, why do you see it only as a white man? You've just determined that the signal is not actually a white man, right? It is a, it is a lunar white hominoid, and it is designed for safety um, and, and for understanding. Yet, you still see this as having to ask a white man to do something. Like, that's insanity, man. That's insanity. You're not asking a crossing signal. I can't believe I'm actually saying this. But you're not asking a crossing signal light for permission. You realize that, right? Like, that's not what's occurring. In the dynamic of you crossing a street, there's no request for approval. You're free to walk or not. You don't have to listen to that white hominoid. You don't have to. You're not asking it anything, and it's not telling you anything. You are free to ignore it. Now, if you walk across the street and you get hit by a car because you ignored the red man's hand, or could be, I guess, a white man's hand, but that's obviously a human hand. Uh, it's a humanoid hand, a hominoid hand, right? Uh, but the red hand tells you no, and you ignore it, then, yeah, you could probably get killed or hurt. That's, but it's your call. Do what you want. Like, I don't care. See, there's that conservatism again. The libertarian in me is like, you know what? I don't care. You want to walk across the street with complete disregard and reckless abandon for the signals? Do it, man. I don't care. I mean, I'm not going to pay for your health care when you get hit by a car. But, um, oh, who am I kidding? We probably will. Anyway, um, he says, uh, at a time when the totems of systemic anti-blackness are being dismantled at a surprising pace there comes a moment when you have to consider the end game oh well this this actually was uh interesting to me he's thinking about the end game and generally the left never thinks in those terms he says traffic lights are one of those moments they're actually not because while this highly politicized period does in fact demand a racial rethink Overhauling the stoplight industrial complex is probably not the best use of our resources. A white man isn't really telling us when to cross the street, even if we hear a friend blithely expressing it in those terms. So it sounds like your beef is with your liberal white woman friend. That's what it sounds like, David. Nonetheless, he says, that little white man woke me up to the ways that language imparts power and privilege even upon the most banal necessities. <laughs> it doesn't do that. You raging moron, it doesn't do that. And so, as I begin teaching my boys survival basics, like riding a bike, waiting in line, and yes, crossing the street. By the way, survival basics does not include riding a bike. That's not survival. You do not need to ride a bike to survive. Okay, um... Uh, yeah, And yes, crossing the street, I'll work hard to avoid phrases like little white man. 
Obviously, bright light person rolls off the tongue far less mellifluously, but a bit of extra verbal labor is worth the price of not conceding our power to even one more little white man. Um, the most egregiously offensive aspect of this piece, at least to me, and it should be obvious to everybody who is woke, is that he assumes the gender of the person walking across the street. He assumes the gender of the little white man. Why is it a man? You don't know that. That little white man might identify as a woman. It could be non-binary. Gender is fluid, and it is a choice. So I don't know uh, how you get off ascribing gender to the little white man on the crossing signal. Now, he ignores the import of the obvious. His white friend also took direction from the white man. Now, maybe it's because she's a white woman and she's, you know, trained by society to uh, to fall in line with whatever the white man says, too. But um, she also follows the instructions of the white man, right? As do I, by the way. A fellow white man. I also look at the white man on the crossing signal and I say, it's safe to cross. In fact, just this past weekend, my wife and I took direction from the little white man on the crossing signal no less than nine times in a walk. Nine times in a single walk we listened to the white man. We were ordered by the white man in his nonverbal directions. And it saved our lives. You are free to choose whether to listen to the signal or not. But to return to the original question, he says, how is it possible that well into the 21st century, parents all over Manhattan are teaching their children to ask little white men for permission to cross the street? And the answer, David, is they're not. And you weren't either. Have you ever seen a photo of the Blue Ridge Mountains so stunning that you couldn't look away? Well, that was me when I first saw Stacy Redmond's work at RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stacy is from Western North Carolina, shooting landscapes for two decades after he realized life is short. You don't get time back. So do what you love. Don't regret not spending time with family or chasing your dream. His work is brilliant, striking, and easily affordable for any space. See for yourself at RedRockPhotoNC.com. Use promo code PETE for 20% off. That's redrockphotonc.com. Have you been trying to set up or improve your business's website? It can be overwhelming for any of us. I know it was for me. So let my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design help you with logos, graphics, photos, and online stores, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. For professional services, corporate, small business, and entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith Design. Make your site look professional and user-friendly for your customers and you so you can adapt quickly. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. The show is also made possible by Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Current events have impacted us all in many different ways, and maybe you need to sell your house. But you're thinking, I don't want the traffic coming through my house right now. Well, Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, they've got investors ready to tour your home virtually and potentially make a cash offer, saving you the hassle and stress of buyers having to walk through your home. Start out with a video consult with Rowena Patton. She's the only agent I would call if I'm buying or selling a house. You should, too. Call her today. 
833-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. The show is also made possible by Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Are you ready for disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for military surplus that's real? For more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It's an old-school, traditional store with a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff all the time, American-made, because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, dog tags, gear, old grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun, and at oldgrouch.com. Stacy Redman is actually going to be at Maggie Valley's uh, Summer Arts and Crafts Fair. It's at the Maggie Valley Festival Grounds on Soco Road this weekend from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. July 11th and 12th, 2020 here. So uh, if you are looking to score some really fantastic uh, artwork, some uh, photographs of the Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, I've got some we'll be giving away actually this week on the program during the Facebook live stream. But uh, if you can't make it to the live stream and you want to go support somebody that listens to the show and supports the show, you can do that if you head on over this weekend to the Summer Arts and Crafts Fair at the Maggie Valley Festival Grounds on SoCo Road, July 11th and 12th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Look for Red Rock Photography, Stacy Redmond's RedRockPhotoNC.com. Harper's Magazine published an open letter on justice and open debate. Okay, this thing had 150 some odd signatures on it. Uh, some of the people that signed on, let me uh, run through the list here. I'm not going to read all of them, but some of the ones that you may recognize. David Brooks, columnist. Noam Chomsky uh, from MIT. Wynton Marsalis, jazz uh, musician. John McWhorter from Columbia University. Olivia Nuzzi, or Nuzzi from New York Magazine. David Frum. Francis Fukuyama. Jonathan Haidt. Uh, Jeet here, Jesse Singal. Salman Rushdie, or Rushdie, uh, J.K. Rowling, Jonathan Rausch, Steven Pinker from Harvard, Gary Kasparov, the chess player, uh, Gloria Steinem, Barry Weiss, Randy Weingarten from the, uh, the, uh, the Teachers Union, the American Federation of Teachers, Thomas Chatterton Williams, a writer, Molly Worthen from UNC Chapel Hill, Matthew Iglesias from Vox.com, Emily Yoff, a journalist, as well as Fareed Zakaria from CNN. Uh, and that's just a sample of um, uh, the various people that they got to sign on to this letter. And here is the letter. I'm going to read it to you. It's not very long. Here's the letter. By the way, as you might expect, outrage has ensued over this letter. Quote, our cultural institutions are facing a moment of trial. Powerful protests for racial and social justice are leading to overdue demands for police reform, along with wider calls for greater equality and inclusion across our society, not least in higher education, journalism, philanthropy, and the arts. But this needed reckoning has also intensified a new set of moral attitudes and political commitments that tend to weaken our norms of open debate and toleration of differences in favor of ideological conformity. As we applaud the first development, we also raise our voices against the second. The forces of illiberalism are gaining strength throughout the world and have a powerful ally in Donald Trump, of course. Of course, they had to mention Trump, right? Who represents a real threat to our democracy. But resistance must not be allowed to harden into its own brand of dogma or coercion, which right-wing demagogues are already exploiting. 
The democratic inclusion we want can be achieved only if we speak out against the intolerant climate that is set in on all sides. The free exchange of information and ideas, the lifeblood of a liberal society, is daily becoming more uh, constricted. While we have come to expect this on the radical right... Wait, what? The radical right constricts disagreement and differences of opinion? That's interesting. I not heard that. Okay. Um, We've come to expect this on the radical right. Censoriousness is also spreading more widely in our culture. (laughs) So, like, I don't understand why, why all of this censoring is going on among us lefties. That's only what the right wing does. That's those crazy righties. Mm hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, folks on the right are like, you guys have always been the party of uh, censoring, but whatever, Um, to to, to, to spreading widely in our culture. An intolerance of opposing views, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism, and the tendency to dissolve complex policy issues in a blinding moral certainty. We uphold the value of robust and even caustic counter-speech from all quarters. But it is now all too common to hear calls for swift and severe retribution in response to perceived transgressions of speech and thought. By the way, this letter was met with uh, calls for swift and severe retribution in response to perceived transgressions of speech and thought. So like this letter that they're saying, like, hey, this is a problem. They are now suffering the very thing that they said was the problem. Um, More troubling still. Institutional leaders in a spirit of panicked damage control are delivering hasty and disproportionate punishments instead of considered reforms. Editors are fired for running controversial pieces. Books are withdrawn for alleged inauthenticity. Journalists are barred from writing on certain topics. I I would add here also, actors are now not allowed to play roles unless they themselves are that that role, that person, right? So like Halle Berry this week had to apologize and withdraw uh, for herself for consideration for a part where she played a transgender person uh, because she's not trans, you see. So she can't play a trans. I, I'm also pretty sure though she was not a mutant, um, but she played one in the X-Men. So whatever. Uh, professors are investigated for quoting works of literature in class Researchers are fired for circulating peer-reviewed academic studies, and the heads of organizations are ousted for what are sometimes just clumsy mistakes. Whatever the arguments around each particular incident, the result has been to steadily narrow the boundaries of what can be said without the threat of reprisal. We are already paying the price in greater risk aversion among writers and artists and journalists who fear for their livelihoods if they depart from the consensus or even lack sufficient zeal in agreement, right? This is an interesting sidebar here is that it's not just that uh, uh, you can't have a different opinion. It's that you have to express their opinion, the correct opinion, with sufficient zest, This is what we talked about for years uh, under the banner of you will be made to care, right? It's not simply, uh, I don't care about an issue, and now you're forced to care about an issue. It's that you'll be made to care about the issue, like really care about it. This has always been a hallmark of all totalitarian regimes, right? You look at the uh, the re-education camps in any socialist or communist country, uh, this is always part of the deal 
All right, they conclude the letter. This stifling atmosphere will ultimately harm the most vital causes of our time. The restriction of debate, whether by a repressive government or an intolerant society, invariably hurts those who lack power and makes everyone less capable of democratic participation. The way to defeat bad ideas is by exposure, argument, and persuasion, not by trying to silence or uh, wish them away. We refuse any false choice between justice and freedom, which cannot exist without each other. As writers, we need a culture that leaves us room for experimentation, for risk-taking, and even mistakes. We need to preserve the possibility of good-faith disagreement without dire professional consequences. If we won't defend the very thing on which our work depends, we shouldn't expect the public or the state to defend it for us. And then they sign this letter. Outrage ensues. New York Times, uh, they call these folks 153 prominent artists and intellectuals. The letter was published by Harper's Magazine, and it's also going to appear in several leading international publications. In its, this is the New York Times, and it surfaces a debate that has been going on privately in newsrooms and universities and publishing houses that have been nav- uh, that have been navigating demands for diversity and inclusion, while also asking which demands go too far, and not just the demands, but the social media dynamics that propel these demands. And on social media, the reaction to this letter was swift, with some heaping ridicule on the letter's signatories, who include cultural luminaries like Margaret Atwood, Bill T. Jones, and Wynton Marsalis, along with journalists and academics. Uh, They call them thin-skinned. They mock them for their privilege, and as one person put it, fear of loss of relevance. Right? So they attack these people. (laughs) They drag them. Personal attacks rather than dealing with the merit of their argument, right? Which is precisely what the people who wrote the letter, and I'm not a fan of all the people that signed that letter, but their point is entirely correct. Um, Richard Kim, the enterprise director of the Huffington Post, said on Twitter, quote, Okay, I did not sign the letter when I was asked nine days ago because I could see in 90 seconds that it was fatuous, self-important drivel that would only troll the people it allegedly was trying to reach, and I said as much. Well, good for you, Richard Kim. Good for you. Your place in the mob is protected. You will not be thrown in the river to see if you float. Uh, We will not throw you off a cliff to see if you fly. We'll not try to burn you at the stake to see if uh, you're actually a witch. Congratulations. Well, I should say we're not going to do that right now because tomorrow is a whole new day. You could totally be a witch tomorrow. The debate over diversity, free expression, and the limits of acceptable opinion is a long-burning one, writes the New York Times. But the letter, which was spearheaded by the writer Thomas Chatterton Williams, who I might point out is black, began taking shape about a month ago as part of a long-running conversation he was having with some other fellas, and they said that they were worried about the timing because they did not want to see, uh, or they didn't want to be seen as reacting to the protests that they believe are in response to egregious abuses by the police. So they didn't want to they didn't want to uh, undermine that or seem like they were reacting to that. Their reaction is to the cancel culture, which has now just become uh, it's sort of like the it's like the quickening of stupidity. Right. It's just more and more and more uh, instances of people uh, just losing their entire 
uh, world because of some moment caught on a video camera. And uh, they cited several incidents here. Chatterton does uh, in this interview with the New York Times uh, saying that it wasn't uh, it wasn't one particular incident that prompted this letter. It's just a series of incidents. And folks who listen to talk radio and consume conservative media, we're aware of these incidents, as I, I keep mentioning, like, welcome to the uh, to the cultural debate lefties like you guys have been participating in this. We kept telling you that you're feeding the alligator with the hope that it eats you last. Well, and guess what? Uh, yeah, you're on the menu now, guys. And that's now, see, now it's real for them. Now they're starting to realize, oh, wait a minute. We were unleashing these mobs, this Salem witchification of America. Like we thought it was only directed towards our opponents. Now they're coming for us? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, uh, incidents including, um, the National Book Critics Circle, half of the board resigned. You had a blow up at the Poetry Foundation over this stuff. There was David Shore, a data analyst at a consulting firm who got fired because he tweeted about academic research that linked looting and vandalism by protesters to Richard Nixon's 1968 victory. Like he was actually saying, guys, don't vandalize, don't riot, don't loot because you're going to help Trump win. And he pointed to this research that indicated that uh, people got scared seeing all of the violence and the destruction of their society. And so they voted for, you know, Richard Nixon, Republican law and order guy. And he got fired for that. This dude who pointed that out, he got fired for that. Mr. Williams said this is um, to do to do. Uh, Thomas Chatterton Williams, uh, he said that the letter was very much a crowdsourced effort with about 20 people contributing language. Then it got circulated more broadly for signatures in what he describes as a process that was both organic and aimed at getting a group that was maximally diverse politically, racially and otherwise. Right. He did. He got he got a lot of diverse people uh, from different walks of life and political sides of the spectrum. I think everybody on that list hates Trump so that, you know, they do have a unifying principle. But uh, he got all these people to sign on to it. He said, we're not just a bunch of old white guys sitting around writing this letter. He's black, as I mentioned. It includes plenty of black thinkers, Muslim thinkers, Jewish thinkers, people who are trans and gay and old and young and right wing and left wing. We believe these are values that are widespread and shared, and we wanted the list to reflect that. So Nicholas, uh, what's this guy's name? Lemon? Lemon. He's a staff writer for The New Yorker, and he's a former dean of the Columbia Journalism School. He said he rarely signs these kinds of letters, but he thought this one was important. He said, what concerns me is a sense that a lot of the people out there seem to think open argument over everything is an unhealthy thing. I have spent my whole life having vigorous arguments with people with whom I disagree, and I don't want to think that we're moving out of this world. I agree with him. I have, I've been debating people... Well, I mean, I guess technically first since my parents and siblings, but I've been debating people since, you know, the college keg party days. And you'd sit around and, you know, solve all the world's problem uh, uh, problems over uh, over the keg. Which is weird because there were still now all these problems. I thought I'd solved them all like 20 years ago, but I, I don't know what happened. Of course, I did you know, mention that we were doing this over a keg, so maybe I just don't remember it as clearly as I think I do. Anyway, there was particularly strong blowback over the inclusion of J.K. Rowling, who has come under fire. This is the Harry Potter author, right? She's come under fire for a series of comments widely seen as anti-transgender, right? Because she's pointing out that uh, she that the transgender movement is harming feminism, is harming women. Um, 
Emily Vanderwerf, a critic at large at Vox.com, who is transgender, posted on Twitter a letter that she said she sent to her editors, where she criticized the fact that Matthew Iglesias, also a writer at Vox, had signed the letter, which she said was also signed by several prominent anti-trans voices. She noted she's not calling for Matthew Iglesias to be fired or reprimanded because doing so, she says, quote, would only solidify in his own mind the belief that he is being martyred. (laughs) So wait a minute. See, this is how this is an impressive skill to know what somebody else is thinking. It's really at the core of a lot of leftism, right? This idea that they know what you're thinking, even though you're not saying something, but they know what you mean by so this is the dog whistle stuff, right? Like, oh, he said this word. This is the, the the okay symbol. Oh, they meant white power, right? They see these things. Their minds go to these crazy places and they think they know what you think because they thought it. And then they call you names for thinking the thing that you didn't, they did. But because they thought of it, they think you must have thought of it, and so now you're the racist. Not me. I'm just able to identify these thoughts that you didn't even know you had. See? Isn't that convenient? Mr. Iglesias declined to comment except to say that he has long admired Ms. Vanderwerf's work and continued to, quote, respect her enormously. (laughs) Because what else can you say? I saw his tweet... Uh, this morning, he was like, I'm not saying anything. I made a point to, you know, be nicer on Twitter and I'm not going to comment on this and whatever. Yeah. Again, the alligator has come for you now, Maddie. Amid the intense criticism, the New York Times reports, some signatories appeared to back away from the letter <laughs> because they don't want to get canceled. And the excuses that these people have come up with. It's really amazing. First off, I have to ask, what did you think was going to happen here? Did you think the cancel culture was going to say, oh, you know what? Hmm. I hadn't thought of that until you said it, (laughs) right? Like, they just needed a different person or a list of people to tell them the same thing that everybody else has been saying, like everybody with, uh, without a, uh, uh, a partisan uh, objective here, but anybody with half a brain can see what's going on and, um, The reason why that they haven't listened up until now is simply because it hasn't been the, quote, right people saying these things to them? Hardly. So what did you think was going to happen, first of all? And at the very first sign of a backlash, of a reaction, you got people that are caving. Tuesday night, the historian Kerry Greenidge tweeted out, quote, I do not endorse this Harper's letter. (laughs) You signed it. She said she was in touch with the magazine about a retraction. Julia Malucci, a spokeswoman for Harper's, uh, who happens to have a name that's really fun to pronounce, Julia Malucci, she said that uh, the magazine had fact-checked all signatures and that Dr. Greenidge did, in fact, sign off on the letter. But she said the magazine is respectfully removing her name now. So I don't know, like, way to ruin your own credibility. Do you think, by the way, Carrie Greenidge, do you think that, that that buys you any points? Do you think you've scored any credibility? You're done. Like, you're done. You, you, this is why people are not engaging. This is what the cancel culture does. It, it makes the penalty for saying the thing as bad as the penalty for then apologizing. And once you apologize, then you're, you're basically living at their um, discretion. 
right? Like, what do you think happens to Governor Ralph Northam the minute he says something out of line or does something or adopts a policy, whatever? As soon as he says something or does something that the left is not going to, uh, is not on board with, as soon as he has a different opinion about something, he's done. Right. He's on borrowed time. He is a dead man walking because of the whole blackface KKK outfit um, uh, deal that, you know, the photo that uh, was taken where he's like, I don't really know which one uh, I was in that photo. But I, I you know, I, I, I'm not uh, confirming or denying like he couldn't remember. Right. Whether he was the guy in blackface or he was the guy posing with the guy in blackface. And that means he was wearing the KKK costume at the college party. Anyway, another person who signed the letter, who spoke on the condition of anonymity in an effort to stay out of the growing storm, said she did not know who all of the other signatories were when she agreed to participate. And if she had, she may not have signed. She also said that the letter, which uh, was about Internet shaming, among other things, was now being used to shame people on the Internet. Yes, amazingly so, right? Calling out people for tactics they're employing prompted them to employ those tactics against you. John Hayward at Breitbart.com, he said, uh, one problem with the Harper's letter here is that they began by making obsequious gestures to the Maoists instead of forthrightly stating absolute principles, right? They started off with like, like, we're totally with you guys. We're down with the cultural revolution. Like, we hate Trump too. Orange man bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But And so the Maoists correctly interpreted this as weakness, and so they attacked, right? Uh, when they started their letter, he says, I respect your righteous jihad, but uh, that's no way to start. There was no way to begin the letter. You opened yourself up to be taken out, because once you give them that, they know that that matters to you. And now they're going to use that as the weapon to get you to take your name off of the letter and to bow before their power. And, you, so, and you've already indicated you're willing to do that. It's just going to be a matter of time and how much pressure can be brought to bear. Right now, if, you're a signature, uh, is on, if your signature is on that letter, you're, you're just hoping that some other uh, story catches their attention. Something else happens, some glittery, shiny object in the uh, current event cycle uh, catches their attention and they focus on that rather than you. Ed Morrissey at HotAir.com says they argued at Harper's that the left's cancel culture had become an intolerance of opposing views, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism, and the tendency to dissolve complex policy issues into a blinding moral certainty. And when the left set about proving it, it didn't take long for the signatories to start surrendering to the very phenomenon they protested. Others retreated after getting blasted, for the company that they kept rather than the principles they espoused, right? Stand on your principle. It doesn't matter who else signed the letter. If these are universal principles, then then espouse them, right? If you agree with it, then defend it. It doesn't matter that somebody else that you don't like believes the same thing that you do. Do you think I like uh, every single libertarian? Do you think I like every single conservative? Do you think I like uh, every limited government proponent? No. Most of them, I do not. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, that's it's mainly just due to my general dislike of people. It's I kid, I kid. The idea is not responsible for all of the people that that adopt it. It's it, you can't you can't hang that on the idea. But this is I mean this is typical. They attack the messengers uh, rather than the message. Uh, if they really believed in the principle of free speech, Ed Morrissey writes, if they really believed in open debate, and especially 
if they oppose cancel culture, then why does it matter who else supports these positions, right? That's why we adhere to principles rather than tribes, rather than teams. You have to have principles. Now that the progressive mobs have a couple of scalps on their belt over the Harper's letter, don't expect them to stop, he says. The point of the list was to show how broadly these principles are shared. Instead, its launch now seems ready to show just how shallow those commitments to those values really are among the, quote, prominent artists and intellectuals. This is one of uh, one of the uh, people who signed the letter was uh, John McWhorter. And back in 2015, he wrote a piece called Anti-Racism, Our Flawed New Religion. And in this piece, it's quite extensive, and I have it linked up at the Pete page, uh, at the Patreon account, uh, as Pete's prep from a couple, I think it was last week I put it up there. Um, he talks about, though, the similarities in the uh, th- this anti-racism religion that the left has adopted. And it kind of makes sense, really, if you think about it, because there are a whole lot of people on the left that have uh, scuttled uh, Christianity and religion in general, right? They just live without it. And uh, they or outright like uh, oppose it and mock it and ridicule it. But uh, people need uh, there's just an instinctive thing that people need uh, purpose, right? They need to they need to try to make sense of things at a larger scale. And religion uh, does help in that regard. And that's where this anti-racism philosophy, critical race theory and all that's where this kind of takes hold. And he goes about identifying all of the similarities between uh, religion Uh, specifically Christianity, but sort of the construct of religious orders and this anti-racism movement that has, uh, you know, now gripped America. Uh, I mean, you got organizations that are doing these anti-racism training sessions, and it's like, well, who's leading the session? Oh, we're going to bring in some consultant, you know, some corporate consultant's going to come in and teach us all how to not be racist. Okay, uh, show us, like, where's their success stories? Can you show us, like, did they go into an organization? It was all racisty, and then they consulted, and uh, they taught all the people not to be racist, and now the now that entity is no longer racisty? Do they have examples of how they broke the racism, of how they broke the fever of white supremacy in a particular organization, right? If they can't prove to you that their system works, then they're just grifting, right? They're just, they're identifying that you have a problem, I can solve it for you. Pay me. It's a grift. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a positive review. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.